in this um, series, right, called Preparing Our Home, uh, very on topic with, you know, our momentum offering and, and particularly the leasing uh, building project there. And so we've been really excited to share actually what was taking place for the early church in the book of Acts and how that really relates to us as a church. And so this morning, I'm excited to share from that. So let's throw up our main text for today up on the screen and then we'll pray. So let's go through that again. It says, they, who's they? Can anyone remember who they was? The new converts. So in the very first week, and of course he remembers it because he studied it, researched it for the first week of this series. And um, these, uh, the they, are the 3,000 new converts at Pentecost. And so it's this they that we're talking about here. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. All right, let's begin today's word with just a word of prayer, hey? Jesus, we thank you, Holy Spirit, for your presence in this place. You know, I really sense God wanting to do a creative work, like the Holy Spirit as he hovered over creation at the beginning of time. I sense that he's hovering here today and he wants to do a creative work in our hearts. And so, Holy Spirit, we open our hearts to you. We pray that you would speak. We pray for your revelation of Jesus. We pray that you would create in us what you desire to create in us, God, not just as individuals, but God, I declare as a church that you you would be creating something new in our midst. We thank you for your presence, Holy Spirit, and we pray and ask that you would do what you can only do. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. So this morning, um, well, let's backtrack. Pastor Nate last week spoke about the teaching of the apostles and the fellowship and how those really link together. And so this uh, week, I have the awesome privilege of talking about how the believers gathered to break bread and to pray with one another and how there's a link involved in that. Um, but before we get into that a little bit more, a couple of weeks ago, the lovely Claire took me out um, to see the ballet. Who here has been to the ballet? Yeah. Yeah, I think those who have, they were like, ooh. Because <laughs> it's, it's like it takes your breath away. As soon as you walk in, like Claire and I were like, oh my gosh, look at the ceiling, look at the, like, look at the lighting. There's all these amazing things that really capture your attention, right? And they, they leave you sort of like in awe. It's beautiful. And um, I've got a little bit of a background in dance, like tiniest bit. I used to dance as a kid and as a teenager. Uh, not ballet, so did not have the poise for that. I did hip hop, <laughs> good old like gangster hip hop, so it was good. You did not need to have that kind of poise for that kind of dancing. Uh, so that fit perfectly for me. Um, but I appreciate dance. And so the opportunity to go to the ballet with Claire, I was like, oh, this is so special. So walk in, it's wonderful. There's about, I think it was about seven or eight uh, different performances. But there was one in particular that really took my breath away. 
And it was kind of like mid through this dance where this pair came on center stage and they were moving and dancing and flowing with one another uh, as if they were like this one living organism. I don't know if you've been to the ballet, how they sort of like, and I remember in that moment while I was watching this, I'm like, oh, I remember good ballet is when it's like you don't know the beginning or the end of one person. They just have this ability to flow and really be like an extension of one another. And then it was beautiful. The rest of the pairs came onto centre stage and they were doing exactly the same thing, flowing in the same motion, doing the same moves and dance. And I just thought, wow, this is incredible. And what it actually really reminded me of was what was going on in Acts chapter 2. The fact that God was taking these 3,000 converts, right, from all over the world and trying to bring them together to form his body, right? I was talking about how in this ballet, it's like these many people were dancing together like one organism, like one body. And I feel like that's what God wanted to do. That's the picture that I get in Acts 2.42, how God wanted to bring these absolute strangers together and form this beautiful, beautiful body, And like I mentioned last week um, with what Pastor Nate spoke about, the apostles' teaching and fellowship, that was a part of it. And the breaking of bread and prayer was also a part of how God was bringing, it was like part of the strategy of how God was bringing this group of people together. And so I want to begin talking about the breaking of bread and what that actually meant in the society back then. Because that's really important for us to know, right? Like the Bible is actually not about us. It's about the group of people that exist then and we we find ourselves in their story I guess and so I want to sort of bring that to life for us this morning so the breaking of bread before we talk about what it meant for the early church let's talk about what it meant for general society first so all you Bible nerds out there you're gonna love this part you're gonna absolutely be like woo yes more all right so what did uh, that actually mean the breaking of bread in general society the way that I would sort of describe it for us today is that it would be people going grabbing a coffee with one another. If you're a Christian Aussie, say, hey, let's grab a coffee and talk about that. Can I get an amen? And, um, and if you're, you know, an Aussie, it would be like grabbing a beer with your mate. That's sort of the, you know, the equivalent of it, what it was today. And so companions would actually meet over an evening meal. It was the evening meal that they would do this. They would meet over this meal to discuss, get this, the problems of the day. When I sort of found that as I was researching, I was like, oh, that's a little bit like... (laughs) I was a bit like, oh, you know. They would come together for celebrations and different like holy days and that kind of thing. But mostly this evening meal every day was actually about coming together and talking about their issues. How funny is that? I um, watch this... Does anybody watch Somebody Feed Phil on Netflix? Yeah, yeah. So you know, right, that he's um, an American Jewish guy, right? So his, his background's Jewish. And he always talks about and jokes about how Jewish people complain a lot. Turns out it's true. They did it every single night. How funny is that? I was like, oh, wow, win for you, Phil. That's great. So they would come together, right, and they would talk about the problems of the day. Um, and what we got to know about the evening meal is that it was the most special meal of the day. Breakfast wasn't even a thing. They, I, I could not start my day without breakfast. Like, breakfast is my important meal, um, as they say. Um, so breakfast wasn't a thing, and lunch was pretty much just a smoko where they would get some energy back into them to go on with the labour of the day. But the evening meal was like when everyone wound down, they gathered together, and I'm not talking just one family. I'd be talking 
groups of people, right? They'd come together for this meal. They'd talk about the issues of the day and what was going on. And everyone um, had a place at the table. Everyone could share what was going on in their life. And what we know about um, this meal as well is that bread would have been eaten. So bread was the staple of the day. It was the thing that they would always have in their pantry. Uh, No matter what season, whatever harvest was coming in, bread was the staple. So, you know, for Asians, it's rice. For Ethiopians, it's injera. For Aussies, it's probably meat and veg. I don't know. Um, For me, I feel like it's eggs on toast (laughs) in our household. And in summer, it's yogurt. So are you hungry? Have a yogurt. Um, But it was their staple. And so that, that's a bit of a picture of, of what breaking of bread meant in general society. But for the church, right, for the early church, there was another layer to this. And we probably know where I'm getting at with this. It was communion. It was what we would call communion or the Lord's Supper. So they would have bread in front of them. And more than that literal bread, what they would be thinking about and remembering is that Jesus is the bread of life and that he's actually one that needed to be feasted on for eternal life. That's sort of what they'd be thinking when they'd sit down together to break bread. And they also knew that in Christ they were one. They were reconciled to God and and each other through the symbolic act of sharing a cup. See, a lot of the times we we mention the the blood or the wine that's in the cup, but we actually forget about the cup sometimes. And when we drink from one cup, we're actually drinking from one source. And so that's what they would be thinking of, their unity in Jesus because of his blood that was shed. And they also remembered Jesus' words, do this in remembrance of me. And that's actually really important, and I'll get to that in a moment. But that's basically a bit of background as to what breaking of bread would actually mean in that society. So there's another part of this, right? What does it link with? Prayer. So let's talk a bit about what it would mean to be devoted to prayer. So the word prayer in this um, particular scripture can be called petitionary. So it was actually the form of petitionary prayer. And so it wasn't about having a moment to sort of wait and hear from God as they sat around. Um, And it wasn't like, you know, speaking in tongues for four hours or anything like that. It wasn't that kind of prayer. It was simply hearing needs and praying on another's behalf. That's what petitionary prayer meant for them. And so that's what, how they would practice this prayer. It would be, you know, as we're out in the foyer and you hear someone needs a new car, you'd stop for a moment and say, God, we thank you and we ask for a new car for so-and-so. That's literally what it would be. So I began thinking, wow, that's, that's really doable, right? Like that kind of prayer, that is doable. And so prayer was practiced in the temple daily. There were daily prayer meetings, they would do that. But where this links with the breaking of bread is that they would actually pray in one another's homes while breaking bread with one another, right? This is where it was actually practiced. And the word prayer, uh, petitionary prayer, is actually also featured. It's not featured much in the New Testament, but where it is featured again is in Luke chapter 8, verse 38. And uh, what happens in Luke chapter 8 is that Jesus is delivering this man who has been um, oppressed by demons, right? There's this demoniac that Jesus delivers. And once he's set free, once he is restored to his right mind, he petitions Jesus. He prays and asks Jesus, hey, can I stay with you? Because obviously you have life. Uh, you have this divine power to deliver me, and I don't want to go back there. So that, that's where this word petitionary prayer 
came from. This is sort of the picture that they would have, that Jesus had divine power to actually restore and set free, right? And to give and to provide. And so as I was thinking about this beautiful, uh, these beautiful acts that the early church would do and how they would come together in this context of breaking of bread, this sort of strategy in my mind started to, to come. Right, as they sat to break bread, they'd be coming around Jesus. They'd, be, they'd actually be saying, Jesus, you are the bread of life. You are the one that we're going to bring our problems to. Because remember, they'd sit down to talk about their problems. And so as they came around communion, they'd be saying, Jesus, you have the divine power to actually bring about what we need. And so that, that was the symbolic act that they were doing right? They realized that Jesus had this power to bring about what they needed. That was one thing that was going on. Another thing that was going on is that they realized that they were united, that together they could pray for one another and see Jesus's divine power come uh, to the fore and actually restore and, and provide what they needed. I've lost my notes. I've skipped ahead. Um, and so let me backtrack a bit. No, actually, it's fine. So Jesus, right. So, um, so as they're sitting together, Jesus often talks about himself as the head of his church, right? And I think, oh, I don't know how many series ago it was, but uh, Pastor Nate unpacked what head actually meant, right? And it meant the source. And so again, we see this, um, the early church coming together, recognizing Jesus as their head, as their source, as their provider. And so these gatherings became less about a catch-up that would happen in general society and more about this beautiful moment where they actually came to Jesus. They brought their problems to Jesus and they prayed for each other, knowing that Jesus, the head of the church, their source could actually provide for them. And I realized that there's something so beautiful in that, in that they practice this daily. So every single day, they made it a point of coming to Jesus, their source. And I thought about that, and I'm like, where do I go every day? Like, seriously. Sometimes when, you know, there are just situations beyond me, and I need someone to think through it with me, be like, I live with a very intelligent man. Let's just talk to him. And so... You know, I'll shortcut <laughs> and I'll have a chat with Nate or, you know, sometimes Google, Dr. Google. Hello, who's done that, right? Sometimes we go to Instagram and for the love of all that is good, do not go to Instagram to find solutions for your problems. Um, there's so much good inspirational stuff on there, but seriously, I, I begin to see that Instagram, Google, these things that sometimes we'd run to is absolute filth compared to what the early church was doing. And the fact that every day they'd come around their saviour. They'd come around their creator, the one that knew them, the one that was their head that said, guys, you are not alone. You've got a provider here. I'm right here. They'd come to this place and said, and, and I started to just think, Jesus, I'm so sorry. So sorry that I've gone to those places instead of coming to you in the fellowship, in the communion with my brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's something I had to repent of. And I'm like, God, I want, I want to do this more. I want to come to you more. It's beautiful. So I realized that. And something else that I realized is, um, and, and actually this was one of the first revelations I think I had of the importance of the church when I was first saved, 
right? When I was saved, like obviously we come with all of our backgrounds and different influences that we have in our life. But I realized the preciousness of the church when I started to hear different messages from the church and then from my family and from my, you know, non-Christian friends and, and things like that. And I sort of started to see this difference in how my, my family wasn't talking about life the way that Jesus would talk about life. My family didn't talk about second chances like my Jesus talked about mercy and grace and forgiveness. You know, my family, my friends, they didn't talk about sin and the mistakes that you make in life the same way that Jesus said, hey, come to me and I will give you a robe of righteousness. I love that we're praying that this morning in prayer meeting. I saw this difference and what I really felt that God wanted to share today is to actually open our eyes again to this difference. The fact that in, in church, in the body of Christ, we have this amazing place that we can come to where we have this common source in Jesus. We have this common source in the word of God. When we come together and we talk about our problems and glean from each other's wisdom and advice, it's less likely, and I understand we're all on a journey, we're all being transformed into the likeness of Christ, but we would know that the core of the advice, the core of the wisdom actually comes from wanting to live a life that glorifies the Lord, right? It's not coming from a place where pursue your comfort and you'll be fine. It's not coming from a place where just make yourself happy and don't care about whoever else is around you. It's not coming from those self-centered, selfish places. It's coming from the truth of the Word of God that is based on love, the God who is love. So I've begun to appreciate again you lot and the fact that whenever we gather, you know, in our lift groups, in dinners that we do, that actually there's this opportunity to glean from one another truth from the word of God and to and and I could so see God and, and his cleverness putting this in place because he wanted to keep his body pure for him. He wanted to keep, you know, his his bride. It talks about not being blemished by the world and not not going astray in your faith. And that was one of his strategies, I believe, that if I can gather these people enough and if they can gather uh, over the apostles' teaching enough and if they can gather over the revelation that I am the bread of life, then maybe there's a chance that we won't go off on our own ways and keep on going off our own ways but when the church scatters and comes and gathers again that we would actually continue uh, living a life that's glorious to him and become that beautiful bride that he has actually called us to be I thought, wow, God, thank you for all these years that you've kept me in church. You've kept me on this path that glorifies you, that is righteous, and I am so thankful for that because I know where I could have been had I listened to what I was hearing from my family, from my friends and all of that. But because I gave my ears, I gave my heart to the teaching of the apostles and to the word of God, it kept me on the right path. And so I was so thankful for that as well. We have this commonality. You know, another thing that I begun to see from this is this whole idea of human flourishing, that as the believers were united in Christ, they actually flourished when they were united over Jesus, right? And there's this theologian that I love. I love reading his work from time to time. Uh, he's still alive, and so, um, you know, when you read his stuff, the language is a lot easier to uh, take in. I love that. Um, but his name's Miroslav Volf, and he is the founder and director of Yale's Center for Faith and Culture. And him and his team, they major on this topic of human flourishing. And what his research talks about is that in order for humans to flourish, yes, you've got to have the good disciplines, you've got to have, you know, your healthy diet, you've got to have exercise, 
Did you know, really cool point, that one of the research points that um, I heard about listening to him speak was that if you attend church once a week for your life, you can add another seven years to your life. (laughs) Right. If that's not evidence that Jesus gives life, I don't know what is. I was like, how? I mean, how you research that? I have no idea. But leave it up to the guys who know how to do that. But wonderful, right? So there's all these disciplines, there's these good disciplines that we can have in our life that actually cause us to flourish. But really interestingly, he talked about how we can't flourish as individuals. We can't flourish if we're isolated, right? And again, I'm like, Jesus, preach it. Because, you know, this is what we talk about all the time, that you cannot flourish if you're in isolation. But rather, he talks about this sense of you, your ability to flourish is attached to all the people in your community or around you in your life, and they're flourishing. And so as I heard that, I was like, God, that's also what you wanted to do. You actually wanted to create us with such unity that we, if, if one of us flourishes, another person flourishes. There's this knock-on effect. There's this sharing of life going on amongst us. It's such a beautiful, beautiful thing. You know, in 1 Corinthians, it actually has, you know, quite a lot that talks about this. It says in verse 12, uh, sorry, chapter 12, verse 26 to 27, it says, If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honoured, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. This is part of what I began seeing, that what God was doing is that he wanted his community to be so affected by each other that they would learn to be united and to actually rely on one another. That, I feel like that was part of his strategy with bringing in the apostles' teaching and fellowship, the breaking of bread and the prayers. He just wanted to create this uh, people who rely on one another because only... Uh, that way can they actually be Christ's body, right? Our body, we can't like dislocate ourselves so our hands don't affect our feet, don't affect, you know. It's all connected. And that's literally what God was trying to do. He was trying to say, hey, 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 come through the breaking of bread, literally talking about your burdens, sharing them with one another. Focus in on me, the one who can provide for you, who has divine power that you, by the way, can tap into because you're part of my body. You can actually put a demand on my divine power to help you, right? That's one of the rights, church, that we have being a part of his body. And that's one of the things that I felt God wanting me to really uh, encourage this morning, that for some of us, we don't come into community, right, because we don't feel like we're worthy enough. We don't feel like we're, we're worthwhile enough to actually say, hey, I'm struggling with this. Can you pray with me? Can you shoulder this burden with me and ask on my behalf? You know, there's this sense of, yeah, I just I can't ask you because I feel like I'm going to be a burden on you. Or I feel like you're going to get sick of me when week in, week out, I come with the same issue because it just hasn't broken yet. But no, what God wants us to be is that community where everyone can bring their burden. Everyone has a seat at the table and can share their problems. And everyone can receive prayer. Everyone can be uh, interceded for, petitioned for. 
And, and it's all around the fact that Jesus is our bread of life. He so wants us to be life-filled and overflow in life that he says, hey, uh, do these things around feasting on me and being united as one. But yeah, why don't we do that? Vulnerability, right? Ugh. When I say that word, it's like, oh, who, who likes that? Like, gross. But, you know, one thing I learned that um, in dancing and, you know, there's a lot of vulnerability that goes on in dancing, right? What does it feel like? Well, first of all, let's talk about the leotards. Vulnerable. <laughs> you see way too much, right? But it got me thinking, what's my leotard? What's the thing that I, you know, like that makes me super vulnerable? It's a good thing to actually think about because we've got to deal with what those things are. And then, you know, when you go past the costumes and the leotards, it's, it's you know, just little things like, is that person actually going to catch me or am I too heavy? You know, doing this move, I feel like I'm going to kick you in the face. That could happen. There's lots of things to be concerned about when you're a dancer and even getting the steps right, being completely in sync. It takes repetition over and over again. It takes this level of vulnerability of being open with the partner that you're dancing with or the troupe that you're dancing with. It takes so much just being open and being vulnerable. And people don't like it. But what I found in dance world, and probably in a lot of sport you know, arenas as well, is that if you don't lean into the vulnerability and actually go all out in it, that's how you end up injured. That's how you end up rolling your ankle, breaking your head, um, because you know, you've leapt the wrong way and the person didn't catch you. And you've actually just got to go all out if you want to be this beautiful picture of this you know, body that's moving and dancing together. And it sort of got me thinking like, about our vulnerabilities and how we end up, if we lean too much into that and, and not actually coming into community, we, we end up injuring ourselves. We end up prolonging the pain, church, of what we're experiencing. And I've sat down with so many people recently who have just kind of disconnected from the church community. And it's like, Oh, you're in pain. I can see you're in pain. Just come back. Come back to communion. I love that we sang that in the first song this morning. Come back to communion. Come back to the start. Bring all of your burdens. Bring all of your scars. Bring it here. It's where we're meant to bring it, church. Because Jesus is our divine power. He's our divine source. But, you know, it takes us being vulnerable to actually do that. It takes... You know, I come back to that question of worthiness. It, it takes us actually saying, I am worthy. And when I step out and I, I put that in front of you, I may have responses from people that could give me evidence of against that, of against my worthiness. But I'm going to step out and I'm going to try anyway. I'm going to bring, you know, my issues. I'm going to bring my problems because I know that I've got to just see past this vulnerability. But you know what I found that, is probably the most helpful, not just you know, working out what your vulnerability is and trying to process that and getting past it. It's actually just keeping our eyes on Jesus. Like I wonder in how many, well, it's funny, because you see in kids, right? Like if kids were to come up and do a performance, we would have like Tina and the team at the front doing like, eyes on me, do the actions, do the actions, you know, clap your hands, eyes on me, eyes on me. There's a sense of keeping your eyes on the coach. 
And what, when, when I looked again at how Jesus placed himself in the middle of breaking of bread, placed himself in the middle of prayers, it's like he's saying, uh-uh-uh, eyes on me, eyes on me, church. Come on, keep your eyes on me, look up, eyes on me. Because it's only when we have our eyes on Jesus can we actually look past the vulnerable uh, stuff, the stuff that we don't feel good doing. And, and yeah, we can actually see Jesus and we can see what he does. I love that he reveals himself. He's the one that they would break bread over. Like literally, they'd be breaking this bread and it would be representative of Jesus. The person that they would petition would be Jesus. The, the person's blood don't use that as a soundbite. Person's blood that they, they would be partaking in. Uh, it was Jesus's blood. So he's like, hey guys, I'm positioning myself right smack in the middle of these practices, of, of these church gatherings, because you've got to keep your eyes on me. Otherwise, your vulnerabilities, otherwise, you know, just distractions of the world, they will lead you away from me. But I love that from the beginning of time, Jesus has always been like, come back come back and we've got this opportunity this morning and um, I'd just like to no you know what band I'd love for you to have communion as well so if the host team you could help us out with communion but I thought communion would be such a wonderful response during this time because it's actually an opportunity to, to say that Jesus I'm coming back I'm making a declaration that I will break bread and I will pray in this way with my community, with my church. I'm gonna go past the vulnerabilities. I'm gonna learn how to share my problems. I'm gonna learn to ask for prayer on my behalf. You know, we do it all around. The precious bread and the precious cup that represents Jesus, our Lord. So I'll give host team, I'll give you that, give a moment for you to do that. Thank you so much. Beautiful. So as we take the bread and the cup, I want you to just have a moment to sort of think about, Jesus, what's my vulnerability? Yeah, thanks, Trev. Legend. Thank you. What's my vulnerability? What's the thing that would keep me from gathering first and foremost gathering with my brothers and sisters in christ what's the thing that would keep me from sharing the problems of my day is it because i don't feel worthy i don't feel like you know i'm loved enough to do that what's my vulnerability here and as you think about that i want you to declare in your heart that Jesus, I'm going to keep my eyes on you. That Jesus, I take communion because I want to look to you. I want to receive from your divine power that's able to give me life that you've promised. And I want to take from the cup knowing that I'm united with my brothers and sisters. That we've all got issues. That we've all got things that we can bring, but God, I thank you that we get to bring that to you and be united with you. Why don't we take the bread? Jesus, we thank you for your body that was broken, that as we feast on you, as we remember who you are and what you say in your word, and as we 
put that into practice in our life, God, I thank you that we will see abundant life flow. Thank you, Jesus. Let's take the cup. Mm. Jesus, we thank you for this cup. We thank you for the blood that is shed for us on the cross that we may be reconciled to you and reconciled to one another. But God, I thank you for the symbolism of this cup that we all share from the one cup, and that is you, Jesus. That we are united in you, that we're not alone, but we have a family in God that we can bring our burdens to, God. That we can receive prayer for, Lord, in our time of need. And Jesus, we can see your life manifest in our own. We thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. Follow us on Instagram at The Lift Church or on Facebook at Live Church Perth. That will give you all the up-to-date information about what's happening in the life of our church. Thanks again for listening. God bless.